Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Here we have another week of the jolt of inspiration you need to get your SLP going um, this Monday morning or whenever you are listening to this episode. I'm excited to have on the show Jordan Carroll. Jordan, will you share a little bit about who you are and about your SLP journey up until now? Yes. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. This is my first podcast. So, you know, this is a big deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am, so I'm from Southern California um, and I grew up there. I always knew I wanted to be an SOP because both my parents are special educators. So I knew I wanted to work with kids. Uh, I didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> and this was perfect. <laughs> this is a great path for me. Um, I've also just like always been into language communication. And so it's just like, this was it. So I went to undergrad in Southern California to a University of Redlands, um, which is what I talk about a lot because it was kind of like an adverse experience, a lot of like uncomfortable situations, but a lot of good situations too. A lot of good came from it. Then made my journey to Howard, which is an HBCU, historically black college or university. So that was like an amazing experience, very life-changing coming from University of Redlands and then going to Howard. That's where I feel like I grew into the SLP I am today. And now I'm here. I work in, uh, I'm based in Washington, D.C., uh, school-based. I work with pre-K-3 all the way to seniors in high school. Um, so a lot of diversity in age and culture and race and et cetera in the District of Columbia. So definitely a great setting for me. It's awesome. Do you have a favorite age group or goal to work on? 
That's a good question. My favorite age group <laughs> is probably, I really like, like going into being an SOP, I really thought it was going to be like early intervention, preschool, like early elementary, which I still love. But last year was my first year working with middle schoolers. And that was like crazy. It was so great for me. It was like the perfect age range where like you can be yourself and like talk about like current events, but like they're still children, you know, like because I work with high schoolers too. And when, when I'm with high schoolers, I, I feel like I'm talking to adults at that point. Like <laughs> it's very, we're very similar in age. I'm pretty young. And so it's just like, we're, it's relatable. But middle schoolers, I feel like that was it for me. That was great. And like, you, ha- you have to be creative, but not as creative as you have to be with the um, elementary school or the really young kids. Um, but what I do like about the younger kids is that um, it's play-based most of the time and I can have fun with kids at any time, any age. So really just being able to play with them and then still work on goals, that's really fun for me too. But my favorite goal to work on, I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite goal. I really like making treatment functional. So anything that I can turn into like functional education, which is why I really like the middle schoolers too, because they're just like, they need a lot of information. I'm just there to give it to them, especially uh, being able to like work on goals at the same time. So yeah, I think that would be my answer. (laughs) I mean, I love the old working with the older ones. I love being able to have that real conversation, yet they're still like moldable like like exactly. you, can still, you can still bribe them you can still trick them a little bit exactly. but you can have real, like I'm you're not dealing with like some gross bodily <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah so. there's, there's definitely other things that go on in middle school too yes. you know, a lot of hormones happening um a lot of you know not academic conversations <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but but sometimes sometimes we work on some life skills kind of thing exactly and that's why I love the functional you know (laughs) (laughs) like maybe you shouldn't be talking to those people on Fortnite and TikTok or whatever Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. (laughs) so anyways the real reason we are here today is we were going to be talking a lot about cultural responsiveness in the SLP world for someone listening to this going what is that why is that important to me Why don't you start them off with just a little background on what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So I would say that being culturally responsive is just being aware, being empathetic, and really treating the patient and not the disorder. Um, So for me, I feel like when you get a patient, you have a breadth of information about the background in this client. And if you don't, you have um, like caregiver information or ways to find more information out about them um, to understand what their background is and treat them in a way that's appropriate for them. I think you said like what's going on in the world, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think what's going on in the world is what's always been going on. Um, I think that racism is extremely prevalent right now because of social media and because of the ways that we can share it because the person that we have in office, I think there's a lot of different reasons why people are becoming more aware. Um, So I think now it's just like an awakening of something that should have happened a long time ago. Um, I'm glad it's happening now, you know, like better late than never kind of thing. So I think just being culturally responsive is just being aware of what's happening. So if they're listening to this episode, that's a good start. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, and it's so yeah. like and and how how does being aware of someone's background and social history pair with the whole racism aspect like how does that intertwine for someone wondering um okay so <laughs> i can give my 
own example. I mm-hmm. think that um, so in undergrad, I was in a predominantly white institution. I think by the time I was a senior, I was definitely the only black person in the communicative disorders program. Um, and I just it was apparent how differently I was treated by the students, by my peers and by faculty, by my professors. So I think racism comes into play because a lot of the things that were told to me were very stereotypical. So like they would say things about the way I dressed, like I had to be more, way more professional than anybody else when I came into the clinic. Or they would say something about my hair and tell me that my natural hair was unprofessional several times and that I I should wear it in a bun and that I can't come to the clinic that way. Or they would say that that I wouldn't get into a graduate program. So I, I can give a very a short story about that. I remember my senior year, I was sitting in my um, supervisor's office, my advisor's office. I had just taken the GRE. Like I got, I had my grades. The transcript was great. I met like every requirement there was for all these graduate programs. And I remember we sat at her desk and scrolled through a list of like 50 schools that I met all the requirements. And she was like, no, you're not going to get in. You're not going to get into any of these. Maybe you should think about taking being a gap year, et cetera, et cetera. You guys can't see, but I'm rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> like, 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 you can't see that? I'm just letting you guys know what's going on. Sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, I think in that case, the racism comes into play because I wasn't seen as capable. I wasn't seen as someone that could make it in a field that admittedly is very tough and very hard. To get. The grad schools are extremely competitive. Like I understand difficult for anybody, but to say someone to someone that met all of the requirements that had an amount, a great amount of like extracurricular activities, there's like no reason why I wouldn't have got into these programs other than you see me as a black person that's not going to succeed. So there was that. (laughs) And yeah, Uh, so I think there's just like racism is based on like stereotypes and that's what comes into play in education. And that's why black children and other people of color are held back in education because this is the way that we're viewed. Um, So I think understanding that and being culturally responsive would stop someone from telling me I should be a teacher instead of an SLP or stop someone from saying I should take a gap year or I'm not going to succeed in this field or On top of that, it will provide accommodations because you would understand that as a Black person, I've had several more hurdles to get to this point. So if we were talking about equity, you would be providing these accommodations so that I had the same opportunities as everybody else. Instead of trying to stop me or telling me that I wouldn't succeed, you would find out ways to help me succeed. So true. And how can someone take this story and shift their way of thinking for their students? As an SLP now, like, okay, so now what, you know, we're talking SLPs here. You know, if there are any professors listening, listen to this story. But now, you know, we're SLPs. How can we take this information and this story that's horrible and make sure we don't have our students feeling a particular way? I think as SLPs, our job first and foremost is to be an advocate for our students because we're not going to be able to change every educator's minds, but we're in every meeting and we we can go in the classroom. We can provide accommodations and give to the teachers if they're not doing it for them. Like we have to advocate for our students and give them whatever they're not getting in the school system that's created to be unfair for people of color. So I think it starts by first being an advocate. And then when you go into treatment, I talk a lot about representation, thinking about the books that you're reading and um, the materials that you're using and are your students 
reflected in those things or not, or are their experiences shared or not? I think as SOPs, there's a lot of talk about like dialect and African-American English. And I see firsthand with um, students in Washington, D.C. that everybody speaks AAE. Um, I've seen that be marked as wrong as lang- in language assessment so that these kids are placed in on my caseload when they don't have a disorder, they speak AAE, and now they're in, with, like, I have to treat them 30 minutes a week for something that this is just the way that they talk. There's nothing wrong with the way that they speak. You can clearly understand, them, like, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it. Um, so I think really just going back to being culturally aware and understanding that these are differences, not disorders, understanding why something is happening or why a student might be behaving in a way that you might not like and preventing that from happening before it gets there. Um, It starts with building rapport with the students and just going back to always being an advocate for them. So true. So, so true. That's such great advice. Now, what advice would you give someone who says, okay, so I evaluated this student. I was scoring it the way the test wanted me to. And I'm going to this meeting. I'm a new SLP. I'm not as confident in defending a score on a test that may not be valid or not. What would you say to them? Testing should always be dynamic. So you should not just be using a standardized assessment and then going into a meeting like these are the numbers. Like that's never going to be accurate. It's never going to be valid if that's all you're using because one, tests are biased and two, they just don't reflect everything that a student can do. Um, and we know that you should go into these meetings highlighting strengths. So you, there's no way you can do that just using a standardized assessment. So definitely just use different forms um, of testing one. And two, you can go in with the standardized assessment and go in with evidence on why it's biased and how this might, how this should be interpreted for the individual student. Because not it's not just students of color that are not equally represented, but it's like students with certain disabilities are not represented or reflected in these testing. Like it's a lot of different things wrong and there's a lot of different reasons why testing should always be dynamic. So I think that takes everything out. And can you share an aha moment or a success story you've had with your students where you felt like you did right by them, for them? Yes, I can say that I was, this just happened last year. Um, I had a student that kept getting, um, this. his teacher was just really sure that he had some type of language disorder. And I treated several other kids in his class. So I would go in and observe. We had talked all the time. And I'm just like, I don't know, like, I don't see anything wrong. And she would show me his work and say, like, you know, no, there's something off and say, like, the parents are concerned, too, and blah, 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 and just kept pushing. So um, eventually we ended I ended up having to do um, an assessment. And I just remember the entire assessment thinking this is a waste of both of our times, like (laughs) he should be in class. He should be doing whatever his class are doing. He's probably missing like specials for the day. Like he doesn't have to be here, but I did the assessment and he didn't have a disorder. He like, he, everything was like, there's nothing wrong. (laughs) The bottom line is there's nothing wrong. Um, I think he did have like some behavior concerns, but it, had everything to do with the way that the classroom was ran and nothing to do with the student. And so that was really frustrating because I'm, like I said, I'm in the classroom all the time and I can see that that's what the problem is. Um, And she's like really like pressing the parents and making them even like so concerned. So I just remember going into the meeting and being able to tell them that your kid is 
like he's great. He's actually, I told them like a list of all these strengths and how that's going to do like do great for him in the classroom. And I gave the teacher um, like just some resources and hopefully some ways that she can help him in the classroom. Because like I said, the concern is really behavior. It's not language or speech. Um, and I just remember seeing the relief on the parents' faces when they said they found out that there was like everything was okay with their son. I just remember them like thanking me profusely and just saying how relieved they were. And they just like thought they were going to have to pay for all these things that they couldn't afford because their kid was behind and all these other things. And I just felt so bad because I knew that the teacher is the one that like placed all this fear on them. Um, And so it just felt good to like literally see that come off of them and being the one to like relay that news. So that was definitely one of the great moments of when I had to be an advocate. I love that. I love that. And and hear that parents want to hear that their kids are okay. <laughs> like we're always like, if you're like, they're going to be so mad at me that I can't take them. Like, no, they are happy that things are okay. Um, exactly. So thank you for sharing that. Can you share like your favorite resources, materials, books, and things to use to make sure you are culturally responsive in your therapy room? Yes. I, um, I like to do a lot of um, literacy-based therapy. So I, I use a lot of books um, that reflect different people in different places of the world. I honestly don't know any off the top of my head, but I can, <laughs> I yeah. just actually, I actually just made a post about a list, like 10 people that review book, like diverse children's books or sell diverse children's books. So if there's any way that we can like share that on here or something. Yeah, we'll definitely put (laughs) it in the show notes. We'll we'll put a link to your Instagram post in the show notes and not to worry, guys. (laughs) That would be great because there are some great resources there. So I like to do that. And um, other than that, I like to use their real lives in therapy. So I like to find out what their interests are. I like to find out about their family and I like to find out about what they like to do outside of school and somehow find a way to use that into in the session. And I think like our job is carryover. So that's what makes it more functional. That's what makes them buy into it more. And that's literally the best way to be culturally responsive is when you're using their own you know, like their personal items, their personal things, their culture, their family. That's my two favorite things to do. Um, For like digital things, I've been using um, Ultimate SLP and Digital SLP. I think those are the two. And last year I used SLP Toolkit, which is great for like organization. And I recommend that a lot too. Great. Thank you so much. Now, do you find people probably are asking this or thinking this. So when you were trying to get to know your students, do you do anything fancy to get to know them or did you just have a conversation? Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Do not. I don't try to do anything fancy. I think children are great at reading when we come off as fake. (laughs) And I don't think adults really realize that. But like the kids know, the kids know when you're acting, (laughs) they know (laughs) when it's not genuine. So just start with the conversation. Um, You can do like little games, like get to know you games. I use just like regular icebreakers in therapy all the time. Those are so great. I don't think those are used enough. Like anything you would do to regularly get to know someone. And this is another thing. I don't think we like, we don't treat the kids as like regular people. Like they're just regular people. The only way you would get to know a regular person, you would get to know them. So um, just like get to know you games, anything you would do with like your staff or yeah, anything like that. You can have them. I like to have like worksheets that they fill out. So I like have a list of their favorite things when I'm in person, but just remembering what's important to them. So true. And I found some like free, like Google slide all about me kind of activities, like digital version all about me kind of stuff. If you want like Mm -hmm. a non-paper type, 
just search like digital all about me kind right. of stuff. But even I it's always like spending, there. like I always spend the first like few minutes of speech while like we're waiting for the other kids to come, like just asking about their day, asking about their weekend. What did you do? And I never let them say nothing. I'm like, you mm-hmm. did something. You ate food. You spoke to someone, mm-hmm. you know, like what did you watch? What did you watch? Like, exactly. Did what you game see? did you play? Who did you call? Who did you text? <laughs> like, what did you see at the way? Like something you did. You didn't. What did you I, get at the grocery store? <laughs> exactly. I, I, and I, I'm the person like I will stand in front of the wall. Be like, you didn't stand like you didn't stare at the wall the whole time. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. you did that. So you did something <laughs> like you're here today so you ate like you got dressed this morning like whatever and I always like just having that rapport where they feel like they can share something will give you that bit of information a little bit more about their life and a little bit more intel to use for other future sessions like exactly and I think also what's really helpful is you have to share yourself. I talk about this a lot too. Is like you can't teach kids to do something that you are not doing. Like you can't teach them to be emotionally intelligent if you're not expressing your emotions and telling them like how you got through that and the process of that happening. Like how are they supposed to know? I think we have to share like how we're feeling or share about our day or share about what we did on the weekend if we expect them to do the same. So true. And like I like to use a lot of like the growth mindset kind of concepts with my students. Yeah. And I like teaching them that I have things that I struggle with too. Like, and I always use like, you know, to get their, you know, attention. I'm like, I'm really bad at soccer. Like you, (laughs) I'm really good. I'm like, well, you're going to have to teach me. Like, and I teach them that like, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And and I like to show them how I overcome some things just to make me more real. Like they Mm -hmm. know that I have two kids. I, I like to share a little bit more about, me, we're, we're not a teacher. We're, we're therapists. Like exactly. we want them to feel comfortable with us. So it, they have to feel comfortable. Like you, you can't make progress if there's no comfortability. It doesn't, or maybe you can, but it's not going to be in the same as it would. If they're excited to come see you, you have fun and you're still, they understand that they're coming there to work and get better. Like that all starts from the beginning. Are there any tips or advice for someone who might be worried that they're not being culturally responsive enough like what advice would you give them if they're like "Mm," listening to this going "Mm, what should I do right there's a lot of good books I like to read a lot um so there's a lot of good books out there I think one that's really popular is how to be an anti-racist there's another good book that's like a classic for educators um called I think why are all the black kids sitting together why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria that's a really good one too there's like a lot of just on social media especially now since like like social distancing and everybody being in quarantine and still like all the police brutality happening. There's a lot of accounts that are dedicated to teaching about being culturally responsive. I definitely share a lot of information on mine. I think what's also really important is finding people in real life that you can trust and ask them like if you're doing something wrong or like just finding people that that can be a resource when it comes to those type of questions because you can't do this on your own kind of thing especially if you come from like a place of privilege, there's no way that you can make this like transition to being culturally responsive on your own. I also made a like self-reflection journal. That's a good place to start, whether (laughs) to reflect on if you're being culturally responsive or not and where your privilege is. And it's just like a good foundation. Thank you. That is awesome. And I love that you've been sharing all this on social media and all the different social media accounts that have really blossomed during this time because it's really helped SLPs in general be the best LPs we can be. And that's our ultimate goal. So we are so so grateful of everyone that's come out to 
share their knowledge, share their journeys, and be just so open with everything going on and being really a great support and uh, a a resource. So thank you. All right. Definitely. Uh, Thank you. I really hope to be. (laughs) So where can everyone learn more about you, find you, all that fun stuff? On my Instagram, it's at JRC underscore the SLP. And uh, my website is JRCTheSLP.com. You can contact me in both places. You know, DMs are always open. Let me know if you have any questions. I can definitely be a resource if people have questions about if they're being culturally responsive or not. Um, I'm happy to do it. So definitely find me. Thank you so, so much. I hope everyone is feeling a little bit inspired, motivated, and just ready to take on the day. And again, be the best SLP you can be. You got this. Thank you so much, Jordan, for coming on the show. I really loved having you here and talking all about cultural responsiveness and hearing about your journey. And until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Are you tired of spending hours prepping and planning and not feeling totally confident after all of that? Make sure you check out my free webinar, How to Plan with Ease and Confidence Without Burning Yourself Out. Check it out today at speechtimefund.com slash webinar. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.